Total Parenteral Nutrition. Let's get into it. With TPN, this is actually a method of feeding that bypasses the gastrointestinal tract. So the way that we feed this client, we don't involve the stomach, the intestines, any of that, because we're using a special formula. So some may ask, Regina, how is this done? Well, what are the nutrients going through? They're going through the veins. They're actually going veins. So when nutrition goes through the veins, whose job is it to process that nutrition? What organ is now responsible for providing nutrition? Right? Do you guys know? It is the liver. So the liver metabolizes the formula, and then the body is able to receive it that way. So this is a very complex intervention. It is not given to everyone. Who needs TPN? The client whose GI tract is not functioning correctly. They need TPN. So these are clients that have issues with their bowels or their stomach. So for example, ulcerative colitis patients, patients with Crohn's disease, right? Where they need a real intervention in order to prevent malnutrition because that's the goal of TPN. We don't want our patients to become malnourished, so we have to feed them this way. Now, NCLEX may give you a scenario where you have a pregnant woman and she's really nauseated, she's vomiting all the time, and they will ask, is TPN a good solution for this patient? What is your answer? No, absolutely not. Because the condition is pregnancy. There's nothing wrong with the gastrointestinal tract. And another example where they say you have a client and they have stage four cancer, they're getting chemotherapy, um, they're terminal, the cancer's in the lungs. The chemotherapy is causing them to be nauseated. They have ulcers all around their mouth. Do they need TPN? What's the answer? The answer is no, these patients don't need TPN. There's other ways we can feed a client if they're nauseated, if they have ulcers. We can put down an NG tube, right? And still use that gastrointestinal tract because it's normal. So the reason why we don't want to give TPN is because when the liver begins to metabolize food, it causes a great strain on the liver. And your client will start to experience some liver failure within a few weeks. So this is something that's reserved for severe cases. When you're given TPN, what labs do you want to monitor? Well, you want to monitor the blood glucose levels because TPN is mostly made of what substance? It's mostly made of dextrose. And dextrose, a lot of glucose. It's all sugar. So what is it going to do to the blood glucose levels? Is it going to raise or lower them? It's going to absolutely 
raise the blood glucose levels. So clients on TPN have their blood sugar monitored every four to six hours. You're going to go around and check it. What electrolyte imbalances can TPN cause? These are the ones that I want you to know. Hyperkalemia, hypermagnesemia, and hyperphosphatemia. And this usually happens in the beginning because normally TPN has nutrition and electrolytes inside the formula. And so the body has to adjust to receiving nutrition in this way. Oh, if your TPN runs out, what is the emergency substitute for TPN? That is 10% dextrose. Yes. You want to abruptly stop TPN. You always want to gradually taper it off. TPN should always be given on a pump. And 10% dextrose is your emergency substitute. I hope you guys feel a lot about this topic of TPN. I hope you know who you can give it to, <laughs> who you can't give it to. What is your emergency substitute? And how do we wean a patient off of TPN? We do it gradually. You are ready to move on to the next subject. Welcome to your substance abuse overview. My name is Regina Callion. <laughs> I'm just joking. You guys know who I am by now. We're getting into substance abuse. Now, substance abuse is the continued use of substance to alter a patient's mood, emotion, or state of consciousness. And that it's not medically necessary for the client to take that substance. They're taking it out of a habitual habit. Substance abuse can be chronic and addiction is considered a mental illness. There are certain substances that are abused, such as marijuana, which is the most common, alcohol, anabolic steroids, narcotics, and stimulants. Out of the list that I gave, I want to focus on two forms of substance abuse that NCLEX likes to hone in on. The first one is alcoholism. 
alcoholism is the excessive consumption and dependence on alcoholic beverages. The signs of alcoholism are daily drinking patterns that typically start early in the morning. When a client consumes alcohol, despite the negative effects on relationships, jobs, family, also blackouts, hiding alcohol from others are signs of alcohol addiction or dependence. Most alcoholics, when they're confronted about their addiction, are in denial and they rationalize their drinking patterns. The withdrawal symptoms that are important is that clients will have anxiety, okay? They will have tremors. There will be nausea and vomiting as well as sleeplessness. Delirium tremors are an extreme, an extreme withdrawal symptoms. So with delirium and tremors, you will have the tremors, the physical shaking, but also there will be vital signs increased. Hallucinations, and this can be auditory or visual. Um, the client becomes paranoid. Delirium tremors usually are seen between 12 to 36 hours after the last drink. There are also two other symptoms of alcohol addiction that you need to know for the exam. The first one is called Wernicke's syndrome, which is basically encephalopathy. And that is a fancy medical word for brain damage. And when you drink too much alcohol, you can have brain damage due to a thiamine deficiency. So alcoholics, because they normally have poor nutrition, poor eating habits, they have a thiamine deficiency. So the thiamine deficiency, it will cause brain damage. Korsakoff psychosis is amnesia that is also associated with a thiamine deficiency. So NCLEX can say thiamine deficiency or they can say B1 deficiency, but Wernicke syndrome and Korsakoff syndrome are both related to thiamine. So how do we treat alcohol addiction for NCLEX RN? Well, there are medications that you want to know. So let's study the medications while we're talking about the disease process as you should. That's how you should study pharmacology. So the medications that we can give to reduce the anxiety, reduce the anxiety are two benzodiazepines. That's the class that they fall under. But the medications are chlorodizepoxide, which is a sedative. Um, the next one is lorazepam, which is also going to act as a sedative and reduce the anxiety of the Hi everyone, welcome to, welcome to Hi I hope you had a wonderful weekend. You guys, I have to tell you how grateful I am for this community. You wish me a very special happy birthday. Um, I saw all of the birthday comments. They were so sweet and the page was just flooded 
it's such a big deal because I did indeed turn 40. <laughs> I turned 40, which is like a milestone birthday. And I have been traveling that entire week, just enjoying time with my family, but also just to see all of the birthday shout outs that I got from each and every one of you was, it was, it was just more than I could ask for, more than I really deserve. More than 3,000 Remar nurses told me happy birthday. <laughs> so thank you, thank you, thank you so much. I'm happy to be back in Ohio. I'm happy to be back in Ohio. And we are going to cover dermal pressure ulcers today, dermal pressure ulcers. So this is the start of a lot of um, meeting and greeting you, traveling for Remar, and we just have so many great things in store for you. So we did extend the study plan for myself for those who want to study with me. We had 500 people join the V2, 500 nurses who will get their license. That is the whole entire idea. When you finish my course, you take the NCLEX, you pass it. And that's that's every part of my course, not just one part. I love the Quick Facts book. Every nursing student should have this book. If you're in nursing school or if you're a nursing student, you should have Quick Facts. This book is changing the way students are studying in many countries, in many countries. So if you don't have this on your list of required readings for your school, I'm telling you to get it. And then also take it to your teacher and say, this is what I'm using to do so well in med surge and pharmacology. Um, this is what I'm reading. All right. So also I wanted to say that if you are in the 30 day program, the three month program, or the six month program, print out your workbooks. Make sure that you are taking notes in your workbook, your V2 workbook, all right? And it'll look like it's the downloadable one. I may not have it, right? There, there it is right there. Can you give them a mind? This right here, my V2 workbook. All right, I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna show the printed one because what I'm finding in education is that when you see the videos or you're just doing questions, I know I say this a lot, but when you write down something, I'm talking to students a lot who have taken, um, they have taken the NCLEX and they have not been successful. The missing piece is usually the writing down, the taking notes. It helps you to remember something like three times more than if you just heard it. So please take time to write out these notes. Even the notes that I'm giving you today, we're gonna talk about pressure ulcers. I have my clipboard. I, even myself, write things down. It's very important for you to do that. So don't skip any steps. Don't skip any steps when it comes to studying. I have to tell you these things, all right? So if you're studying the Quick Facts book, make sure you're also taking notes while you're watching the videos, while you're watching the videos. Again, thank you guys. I've reached a new level of wisdom. If you know it, you know it, okay? Um, and if if we're ready for the NCLEX, if you're not ready for the NCLEX V2 just yet, you can just start with the quick facts for NCLEX or nursing school, okay? There's a difference between these two books too. Um, I have quick facts for NCLEX, and then this is the sister book, quick facts for nursing school. This is the little sister book for if you are in nursing school. This book is about twice as thick and it covers med surge and pharmacology, okay? So this is, if you're not ready to take the NCLEX just yet, you're in nursing school, this is the resource for you. The difference is you don't have to memorize everything in this book. You do have to memorize everything in this one though, okay? So this is your reader 
this is your memorizer. You have to memorize this one. All right. Okay. We are going to be discussing the major principles of dermal pressure ulcers. Dermal pressure ulcers. This topic is straightforward, but prioritization can be difficult. Shout out to who, who passed? Charlene, you passed. Um, and clicks, congratulations to you. Um, let me know if you want to come on. Let me know if you want to come on and talk about it. All right. Um, dermal pressure ulcers, pretty straightforward in terms of what we need to memorize. However, I find that the prioritization um, the prioritization questions can be challenging. So I brought priority questions for you. Make sure we unlock our bonus question today. Make, for, make sure we unlock our bonus question today because it's going to be good. It's going to be good. All right. Let's get into it with the clipboard. Let's get into it with the clipboard review. All right. And this again is dermal pressure. Also, When we talk about pressure ulcers, there can be many different types. We're going to talk about the ones that focus on the skin. And I'm just going to do a quick one for you guys, okay? And I want you to answer these very basic questions, and it will show whether you have a good understanding of the pathophysiology and the most important points for NCLEX. So here we go. Dermal pressure ulcers. Are they a localized problem or are they generalized? What would you say? If somebody were to ask you, dermal pressure ulcers, is this a local issue or a general issue throughout the body? What do you say? Okay, let's go, let's go, let's go. It's Monday. We are waking up our minds. We are adjusting ourselves to this information. Okay, all right. Good job. We are going with localized issue. Okay. General, for those of you who are writing that down, general problems mean that they can affect the entire body, but we know these are usually at one specific spot that we are monitoring the patient for. This information is in quick facts. Uh, what page is it? It's under pressure ulcers. Um, is, is it 75? Put down the, the, um, the page for me, please. Okay. It are dermal pressure ulcers an issue of dilation or occlusion? Mm. You might not have been asked that before, but let me know what you're thinking. Is this an issue with dilation or occlusion? And thank you so much for coming to class. We have classes on Mondays and Wednesdays every single week. And the reason why you come to class is to go deeper into your studies deeper into your studies. So some of the things that I'm talking about right now are not in quick facts. They're not in there. All right, Jasmine, I see you. I see you this morning. Hello. So I passed my NCLEX RN on Thursday, the 22nd at your third attempt. How exciting is that? Congratulations, Jasmine. Shout out. You did it. That's amazing. Okay, you only got to take it zero more times. You have your license forever. Okay, this is a situation of occlusion. Yes, that pressure occludes the capillaries and the vessels at that specific spot. And so that is where your skin begins to have issues of breakdown because of the occlusion that's happening, okay? So if we understand localized 
occlusion, we can start to understand the treatment for these patients. Okay. All right. Let me ask you this. Is the patient aware or unaware that this is going on? What do you say? Is the patient aware or unaware? Mm-hmm. Great questions. We're talking about dermal pressure ulcers. We are trying to get to the bottom of it before we just start into a quick review. Okay. Some people are saying aware. Some people are saying unaware. Both can be true. It was a trick question. It was a trick question. <laughs> because you have some patients who have, you know, they're, they're like, ouch, my skin is burnt. Me. Like I went to Mexico. Um, one of the places I went to for my birthday was Mexico and I got a skin burn and it hurts and I'm aware of it. Right. Um, but then we have patients who have maybe diabetes mellitus or they have a decreased level of consciousness and they are unaware. Okay. Question is here. How many stages, how many stages are we going to have memorized for NCLEX? Give me the number because you need to know this. How many stages are there? Yes, there are. There are going to be four. There are going to be four stages. If you, if you only memorize three, you're going to miss one important one. So memorize four. We're going to go over the four very quickly. Okay, this is a big one. Knowing everything that you know here, what is the what is the biggest risk? All right, maybe I should put um, the most serious condition that dermal pressure ulcers can create for the patient. What is the big thing that we don't want happening to our patients? That we don't want happening to our patients. Ah, mm -hmm. so give me a specific type. I see infection, but give me a specific type of infection. I'm okay. infection is infection is true, but it is a specific type of infection I'm looking for. What is that? What is it called? It's called this. Let me see who has that. Angie has it. Okay. Uh, we know this. Okay. This is the most serious, this is the most serious for patients with dermal pressure ulcers. So even though they may look small in the beginning, if you have a stage one or a stage two in your mind as the nurse, uh, because maybe family members or even sometimes even the, the other healthcare workers, when they look at a bed sore, they're like, mm, oh, it's not so bad. But we as nurses have to be able to project that even a stage one can result in this. All right. Now, give me the cause of this. What is the cause of this? What would we be thinking about? Think about it in terms of treatment. What's the cause of sepsis? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, amp amputation is a good one, but amputation actually is better than sepsis. Okay. Sepsis is worse. So the cause of sepsis is, and this is how it's, this is what's going to help you with thinking about the treatment. Yes, it's bacteria. Good job. Okay. This is the cause of sepsis. So when a patient has any skin breakdown under your care, whether you're in the hospital or at home or 
wherever you may be working, typically it's the fault of you. If, you, if your patient in a nursing home gets a dermal pressure ulcer, it's your fault. Okay. Um, that is how everybody's going to look at it. That is what the family is going to say. That is what, and, and it's the truth. It's the truth. Nobody in the care of a nurse, registered nurse, practical nurse, should have a dermal pressure ulcer because you know how to prevent this from happening. You absolutely know how to prevent it from happening. You know the risk factors and you know the prevention plan, okay? So um, this is your responsibility. This is it. This is what you have a license for so that this does not happen to people. All right, so now let's get into it. Thank you for that quick review. I think we're on the same page now. Let's go into more detail for my readers and my audiovisual learners. All right, we're talking dermal pressure ulcers. We are taking ownership of them right now. Pressure ulcers can also be called bed sores, decubitus ulcers, um, pressure injuries in documentation localized, it, what happens is essentially localized skin and soft tissue damage that occur. So when we are studying dermal pressure ulcers, we do have to have a knowledge of the layers of skin. So are we talking the dermis? Are we talk, talking the epidermis? Those are terms that you need to be using when you are um, discussing dermal pressure ulcers. And this is on page 75. For those of you who have quick facts, my focus in quick facts is um, it's a good section of it. It's all of this in here. And I'm I'm focusing mostly on the stages and the vocabulary, the vocabulary, because like I said, you can't talk about pressure ulcers if you're not using the correct vocabulary. Now, pressure ulcers, um, they develop due to, of course, pressure, their localized injury. And they typically happen over bony prominences. Pressure ulcers typically develop on um, the body, such as the back of the head, the elbows, the heels, the hips, and the tailbone. The thing about pressure ulcers is that any age group can get a pressure ulcer. It doesn't matter if you are a newborn to you are 100 years old. If you stay in one position, for a long time, you can develop a pressure ulcer. Raise your hand if you've ever gotten a pressure ulcer. Okay, me, I've got I got one in college. Young lady, I was I got a pressure ulcer. So there are a hundred percent. There are a hundred percent ways that you will get this if you are not being taken care of well. Okay, all right. Let's go to let's go to the next slide. The causes and risks causes and risk. Can you guys hear me okay? Give me a thumbs up if you can hear me okay. So moisture can um, moisture can definitely cause a pressure ulcer. And that is if the patient is sweating, if they have stool or urine on their skin. When I got a pressure ulcer, I was in college, I got the flu and I was living by myself at home. So nobody was care of me and I could not get out of the bed for three days. That's how bad the flu was. Well, guess what? I got pressure ulcers on my heels, the heels of my feet. They begin to break down. 
So in it really hurt, it really hurt. So again, moisture from any kind of liquid on the patient's body can cause pressure ulcers. Many of you know what I'm talking about because you say you had a pressure ulcer too. All right, traction. Ooh, pulling or stretching our patient's skin, sliding them in the bed. If you move a client in the bed too rough, you can create a friction tear. Um, I've seen it happen so many times. You can create friction or you can help to uh, thin out that skin so that a pressure ulcer can develop. And so bed sores are going to be very common in patients who have limited mobility or who are depending on other people to turn and reposition them, okay? So if your patient has impaired mobility, if they have impaired sensory perception, if they become dehydrated, diabetes mellitus, or decreased level of consciousness, these things can result in dermal pressure ulcers happening. And that's why some patients can be totally unaware that this happens to them, okay? Totally unaware that this happens to them. So let's get into the stages. There are four stages that you need to know. Stage one, this is, this is very typical. This is very typical. Stage one is considered a mild form. It affects the upper, it affects only the upper layer of the skin. This is going to affect the epidermis of the skin. When you look at it, you see that, you know, the wound has not opened at all. This is not a good picture of stage one right here. This is just showing a pressure ulcer. Um, so for quick facts I have here for stage one, let me read it to you. Stage one typically looks like a sunburn. Okay. It typically looks like a stunt sunburn. It is red, it is warm, but the skin is intact. Now, remember, sunburn, yes. Sunburn is a typical stage one pressure ulcer for the NCLEX. And what that skin does is it will maintain its redness throughout the entire day, right? It doesn't blanch. The skin will not turn white. That is what you're gonna see for a stage one. Now, there won't be any tears or breaks, but sometimes on darker skin, it can appear not red, but blue or purple. Um, the redness remains for more than 30 minutes, even after pressure is released. Okay. Um, it's not turning white when firmly pressed. It is painful. The thing about the epidermis is there is a lot of sensitivity. So it is painful to the touch. Um, it may be warm at that area. It might feel tough or stiffer than the surrounding tissue. And you might have itchiness due to, might have itchiness due to the pressure ulcer. Stage two, what do you see? Well, the sore area has now broken through the epidermis into the dermis. And so this creates a shallow open wound. For quick facts, if I'm reading it to you, it says you have examples are abrasions, blisters, or shallow craters. This is an example of a stage two, stage two pressure ulcers. What else do I have here? Crater-like wound, sometimes a blister. Yes, blisters are also 
considered. Yes, I, I know, because you know what? This is one of those things that no matter where you work at, you need to prevent these. Um, a blister that is filled with serum fluid can also be considered a stage two. If a patient also has drainage or pus, that is something that can be um, on your NCLEX exam for stage two. Swelling painful or red tissue surrounding the lesion, and it could be indicating tissue death or injury. So the beginning stages, the beginning stages of tissue death look like stage two, stage two. Now let's go on to stage three. Remember there are stages that we are memorizing here. The thing about stage three is you are going to see the word fat. So when I see subcutaneous fat, whenever I see subcutaneous fat, in the NCLEX question about dermal pressure ulcers, I know I've made it to stage three and I'm either trying to determine if it is a stage three or a stage four. You will never have subcutaneous fat in a stage two pressure ulcer, okay? Never have that. So if the skin is deeply damaged, so it goes into the epidermis, the dermis, and then the fatty tissue underneath those two layers are exposed. This ulcer may also, it may also resemble a hole or a crater. And that is why it is very difficult for some students if they are trying to evaluate whether something is a two or a three, because a two can be a crater and a three can also be a crater. Um, and so this is this is the language that we use here in the United States when we're describing a hole. We, we call it a crater, right? So the difference between two and three is going to be that subcutaneous fat. The fat tissue is visible, all right? But you don't have any muscle or bone. You won't be able to see any muscle or bone. You will just see that fat. It is also accompanied by an unpleasant smell, pus, redness, and the drainage is no longer clear. It is going to be discolored, all right? So it's gonna be a discolored drainage. Mm. These are signs that your patient is not doing well, all right? And think about it. If your patient has a stage three pressure ulcer, what type of treatments are going to be recommended? And also, how is that going to affect their normal activities? How is that going to affect their quality of life or their daily abilities if they have a stage three pressure ulcer? These are things that we can think about because every stage three started as a stage, what, one. And the fourth, okay, the fourth, <laughs> and the worst, okay, and the most dangerous, these are the most dangerous here, are stage four pressure ulcers. And this is because these expose the body parts that are never supposed to be open to air. These expose the body tissues that are supposed to be what? What did I say inside of our body is? inside of our heart, inside of our liver, 
right? Inside of our bone is what? What is it? What's that word called? It starts with an S. And so when we allow the air to, uh, our open air to get to these places, it can cause huge problems. No, the S for our normal organs is sterile, okay? It's sterile. So our organs are sterile. Yes, it's sterile. That is normal. That is healthy. That is expected. Okay. And so when, when a patient gets a stage four, then all of the sterile parts of their body become exposed. And, they, and this is how it can lead to sepsis very quickly. And so we have here the stage four penetrate the deep tissues, such as the muscles, the tendons, the ligaments below the surface of the fat, and your bone can even be exposed. All right. And so infection is, is more than likely, it's probably going to happen for this patient. It's probably going to happen. Um, so symptoms of our patient, they will have severe pain. There will be drainage. This will all. This is also where you'll see that dead tissue and it is going to look black. Okay, it's going to look black. We also have visible muscles, like I said, um, pus, unpleasant odor. And somebody asked about this. This is where you're going to see the eschar. And this is um, hardened, dead wound tissue. It is very difficult. It's impossible to heal. Okay, so we're not going to be trying to heal that tissue. We're not going to do that. All right. Um, just as a, a reference, we have on YouTube, okay, we have 700 right now and 61 people watching and 229 likes. So our share goal for YouTube, if you're watching on YouTube, is to get to, this is a big number, but I think you can do it. I'm challenging you on this Monday to get to 500 likes on YouTube. It's a big number, but the bonus question is worth it. I promise you. So if you're watching, smash that like button on YouTube. All right. Smash that like button and let's move it up. We have 242 likes guys. So we got to go up higher. <laughs> All right. So stage four, this should cover your review. This should cover your review for the four stages. Now the assessment finding, we are going to do a physical investigation of the patient. So we're going to look at what things we're going to look at ulcer history, the cause, the duration, and we're going to ourselves. And this is something that nurses can do. Um, this is something that nurses can do. So be prepared to tell the doctor what stage you think this wound is in. All right. Um, measuring, measuring the affected area. One of the things that I did as a new graduate nurse, and I think somebody told me this because I wouldn't have known it. I measured this finger. And this finger was seven centimeters. So whenever I had a patient that was oh, that had a wound, I could literally use my finger as a ruler to see like, okay, is it like half of my finger? Is it the entire finger? You know, little things like that we have to be able to do. You don't always have a ruler by you. And so please learn these little tricks. If you don't have first shift, this is my book, How to Dominate Your First Two Years of Nursing. Got to get it right. All the little things that I learned, uh, I wanted to 
share with you all. And so I wrote this book called First Shift. This is how I did it. All right. So again, you have to be able to articulate if the size has changed, if there is tunneling or undermining, if there is a presence of drainage, or if you see any black necrotic tissue, if you see any black necrotic tissue. There are some assessment scales that you can use, and there are three scales that exist, and I'm not sure which one you will learn in nursing school, because whether you are um, a U.S. nurse, if you're in Canada, if you're in a different country, you may use a different scale. But for NCLEX, which one out of the Waterloo, <laughs> the Norton, or the Braden? Which, which scale is our NCLEX? It's just our NCLEX one. It's the one we're going to use for NCLEX. I don't know how to <laughs> say it. Um, we must understand, understand that Braden scale. Yes, the third one. So if you are going to take the NCLEX, this is the one. You tell your teacher, I don't hear about no other scale. You know about this Braden scale, right? That is the one that we're going to be using to evaluate our patient's risk for skin breakdown. Yes, it's true. It's true. It's the Braden scale. Okay. And so I have here just a little bit more detail about the Braden scale. It is going to look at a couple different aspects of your patient, um, their sensory perception, their mobility, their moisture, their nutrition, their activity, and then friction and shear. Now, I will say 100%, don't try to memorize this. This is not like the APGAR scale. I wouldn't say that you need to memorize this scale. I would say that you do need to be familiar with it. You need to be familiar mostly with the name. And if your patient has a high number, is that a good thing? Or is it better for them to have a lower number? Okay. So do you want your patient's number to be very high or do you want it to be very low? Make sense? And that is the totality of what you need to know for the Braden scale. Okay. All right. Now let's go to the next thing, the complications that you can have, the complications that you can have if you have this dermal pressure ulcer. So the major one, of course, is sepsis. Okay. Now this is the highest one. Most people, most people who get a dermal pressure ulcer will not have sepsis. But if you are in a place where you are not receiving great care, okay, you're being neglected, you're being neglected, you can definitely get sepsis. But before sepsis could happen, you could have this. You could have cellulitis. Thank you, Angela. I love that comment. Thank you so much. I'm trying to do my very best to teach this content. All right. Um, you can have cellulitis. Now, cellulitis is not contagious. Cellulitis is something that a patient will get because they have been exposed to um, typically is some sort of bacteria on their skin, right? An infection. But NCLEX likes to make cellulitis like it's contagious. So they will say, and this, this is just to try to know if you've studied this content. So they'll say if a patient is diagnosed with cellulitis, 
should they be isolated? Well, we got to know like what's the cause of the cellulitis, okay? Because sometimes, you know, the patient can have a shared room, but we're not sure, all right? So an inflammation of the skin and the surrounding tissue, as a result, the area becomes heated, swollen, and inflamed, okay? Bone and joint infections, pressure sores can spread infections to the, mm -hmm, the joints and the bones. Joint infections are often known as septic arthritis. They're local to that joint. They're local to that bone, tissue, and cartilage may occur. You can also have osteomyelitis or bone infections that may hinder joint and limb function. Okay. Sepsis, we've already talked about. This is an infection that goes right into the bloodstream and it is highly, it, it's dangerous and it can be deadly. All right. So what are we going to do? We are going to reduce pressure of our patients. I have seen this comment frequently. We are going to change positions at least every two hours. Um, and that depends on the condition of the patient, the surface quality that they are using. You can use supportive material. Now, I know in the hospitals, they have so many things for dermal pressure ulcer preventions. How many of you have seen the beds with the air mattresses that inflate and deflate, right? Those are um, very helpful. They have special cushions that patients can lay on. A lot of research and investment has gone into preventing these dermal pressure ulcers. All right. We also have wound care. There are some nurses in here who will be wound care nurses. Is there anybody in here studying to be a wound care nurse? You will be proficient in cleaning the wound and knowing what type of dressing is needed. God bless you guys. You will be able to heal your patient's skin and you will have the patience to look at the same wound over and over and you will get excited about small changes that are happening in your patient's oxygenation status and, and um, the quality of their skin. So God bless you. Nurses are amazing no matter where they work, but wound nurses have patients that I've never seen before. You guys are amazing. All right, um, removing damaged tissue. Now the physician or if a nurse has a special certification, they are able to debris a wound. Now, debriding a wound can be done by a scalpel. You can cut the tissue away. There are also um, interventions or procedure where water is used to debris a wound. Has everybody, have everybody seen that before? Where you can use essentially a blast of water, like high pressure water is used to remove dead tissue. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you can cut it away or you can blast it away. But as you can um, imagine, it's challenging no matter which way you do it. OK. And then there are different treatments for creams and uh, oral antibiotics and antibacterial ointments and IV antibiotics that can um, also be used for treatment of a dermal pressure ulcer. Can you use normal saline? Um, so I'm not a wound. I, I, I would say the doctor and the wound care nurse would prescribe what, what solution is used. Okay. Um, 
because I don't want I don't want anybody trying anything. It said Remar said you can use peroxide or anything like that. OK, so it's a solution that that they use. But let me know. I know you can you can certainly, you know, clean wounds with normal saline. We use that a lot in the healthcare setting, but I don't know about debris. I just don't know. OK. All right. And we did the treatment. So let's do our nursing interventions. These are the things. OK, these are the things that we are able to do to help, okay, reduce the risk of pressure ulcers. So repositioning the client, repositioning the client, we're changing the position every 15 minutes if the patient is seated, very important. If your patient is up and they're seated, we need to change that position every 15 minutes, okay? So think about that. Think about the frequency that is recommended every 15 minutes, that's four times an hour. And then think about real life. Sadly, think about real life. If patients are getting repositioned every 15 minutes, I'm not, don't say anything, just think about it. And so you can imagine how, how pressure ulcers are going to be under your care. Okay. If you're in nursing for any length of time, you will take care of a dermal pressure ulcer. So every 15 minutes, if the patient is seated, every two hours, if they're lying down, regularly inspecting the patient's skin, of course, encouraging the patient to have a well-balanced diet, including the um, intake that they're getting. Also um, making sure the skin is clean, dry, and intact. If a barrier cream is prescribed, putting that on the patient because it will help the patient to be protected from their moisture. All right. Um, of course, going to physical therapy, stopping smoking, nicotine helps to slow down wound healing. Pressure mattresses can be ordered and recommended. And then adjusting the patient's uh, position in the bed. Right. Okay, I think, are we going to get into our questions now? We are going to get into, we're going to get into how I love to prepare nurses, no matter what level of nursing you're on. If you are a beginning nurse, if you're taking the NCLEX, or if you're finishing up nursing school and getting ready for your NCLEX exam, take this video and then go and see the difference in my V2 program. And you will know that, yes, you can do it and it, it won't be long. It won't be difficult. All right. So the lectures in V2 are there for you. Here are the questions and, and think about the free trial. If you don't have my V2 program, get into the free trial. Go to remarnurse.com and just sign up for the free trial of my program to see the difference that studying can make. Okay, so we have five questions here. Mm. Four, you will see no matter what. But the fifth question is depending on whether these 411 comments get to 500. So we just have a few more. Okay. So let's do the first of four. How guys do? Question number one is this, is this. I say um, a nurse, let me see if I can make it a little bigger. Okay. The nurse is assigned to multiple clients. Which client has the highest risk of developing pressure ulcers? Number one, a client with asthma on steroid medication. Two, a post-hysterectomy client with history of hyperthyroidism. 
three, an elderly client with stage four stomach cancer and on an opioid infusion. Four, a client with gallstones and set for laparoscopic cholecystectomy the next day. Here we go. We are talking about who has the greatest risk for developing a pressure ulcer. And this is a great time. This is a great NCLEX question because it's asking you to demonstrate your knowledge of risk factors. Who are you going to be checking on the most? Who are you going to be checking for? And again, this, this topic comes from Quick Facts for NCLEX. This is my book, page 75, page 75. Okay, correct answer. You guys did a good job. You did a good job here. Correct answer is number three. Did you get this one? An elderly client with stage four stomach cancer and on an opioid infusion. Why? Because he had the most risk factors, okay? Um, older patients, they're immobile, okay? They may be bedridden. They're more likely to develop bed sores because the skin is thinner. Yeah, skin is thinner, more sensitive. He said they have an IV line, right? So that is also going to hinder maybe if they want to get up. And it's an opioid. So what is that going to do to their level of consciousness? Is going to decrease their level of consciousness. Patients who are on opioids, they're not up running around. So they're going to need a lot of help with making sure that their skin is protected. Great job. Great job. Not eating, not drinking, lethargic. Yes, nurses. Yes. Yes, exactly. Okay, let me see if I can challenge you with this one. Question number two. We're, we have 426 likes, so I'm stalling. I'm stalling. Okay, here we go. Question number two says this. Oh, it should say this. I'm sorry. The nurse evaluates a client with pressure ulcers at the sacral area. Upon checking the affected area, the wound looks like a big crater with visible fat tissue and draining pus. How should the nurse document this assessment? Number one, stage four. Number two, stage two. Number three, stage one. Number four, stage three. <laughs> okay, this one might be tricky. But the wound, it looks like a big crater with visible fat and it's draining pus. What stage is this? One, stage four. Two, stage two. Three, stage one. Four, stage three. And I'm, I'm all confused because I don't know if you guys are putting in the number or putting in the stage, uh, but you'll, you'll know if you got it right or not. So the nurse document this assessment, the choices, the correct answer from the choices is going to be stage number, well, let me write it. The correct number from the choices is number four, but it is a stage three. Did we, did we get that one? <laughs> So it is a stage three because what did I say was there that we saw? The fat. So when we see subcutaneous fat, we're going to start thinking stage three. All right. And also it has the other signs, which were the tissue 
fat tissue, draining pus. We could also say it had a unpleasant odor, discolored discharge, redness at the site. Okay, so we got that one. Okay, let me see if I can trick you guys. We're up to 440. So we do have two more questions to go. All right, so you can get up to 500. Let's go, let's go. Okay, all right. Question number three says this. Oh, this is a great one. Okay, here's the question. The nurse positioned the client with liver cancer, stage four, after a post-liver biopsy. Which areas are most likely to develop pressure ulcers in the client? Okay, but it's just one answer right here. Which area, okay, is more likely? Is it number one, the right shoulder? Two, left hip? Three, middle back? Or four, back of the head? Love this question. Nurse is positioning a patient after a liver biopsy. Basically, what area is most likely to develop a pressure ulcer? This is such a good question. Critical thinking right here, but based off of what you studied in the V2. This is a V2 question. Matter of fact, I know what I'm going to do. This is a V2 question. I see people are putting here number two, number one. Mm, 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 mm. Ah. I'm gonna have to play the video. I'm gonna play the video. Too many people are getting this one wrong. So the correct answer, yes, good job. Some people know content here. The correct answer is going to be number one, the right shoulder. Number one, the right shoulder. Um, And let me just go back to the choices for those of you who didn't get this right. Um, If you didn't get this right, maybe you were just guessing. You you weren't really sure. You were just trying to do what makes sense. But remember what I tell you about NCLEX. They have to give you the answer in the stem. And in the stem of this question, based off of the procedure, you know, okay, you know what position the patient is going to be in. So liver biopsy is not just a random procedure. There are very specific things that you do when a patient has a liver biopsy, right? And if you didn't learn this in nursing school, you are about to learn it now because positioning the patient and knowing what position the patient is supposed to be in will make you useful. If you don't know the position the patient is supposed to be in, The doctor is going to be looking at you like, how did you get a nursing license? Okay. What side of the body is on? This is just basic. Let's take it back to anatomy and physiology. What side of the body is the patient, the liver on? Okay. The liver is on the what? The right side of the body. So when you are when you are, yes, this is in V2. This is in V2. When you are positioning a patient for a liver biopsy, what side do you place them on? Okay. When a patient is about to have 
a liver biopsy and the doctor says, okay, put the patient in position, I'm gonna come right in or whatever. If you're working in the OR or whatever, the position that the patient is in during a biopsy is going to be on the what side? The left side, right? Because you need the right side up. You need the right side up. So you put the patient on the left side of the body during the procedure, before the procedure, during the procedure. After the procedure, because you want to place pressure on the liver because it bleeds a lot. The liver is very vascular. It's a bloody organ. If you cut it in any way, it's going to bleed for a long time. So you place pressure on the liver by putting the patient on the right side after, okay? So when you look at these choices, this is not a difficult question if you have reviewed positioning for NCLEX, okay? If you have if you have reviewed that concept, this is an easy question. You haven't reviewed it, then you probably put number three back middle of the back or back of the head like I've, I saw some people put, all right? And so this is what I mean when I say you can't pass this exam by just doing practice questions because what will happen is you'll get a question like this wrong and you'll see it in the rationale. Some people will see the rationale and they'll be like, okay, so it was the right shoulder. Okay, that's great. And now what is it? I'm on to the next question. I'm on to the next question. I, I don't even, you don't even, you can't even take the time to understand the entire principles of positioning for a liver biopsy because it's time for you to do the next question. So I tell you guys, stay at the question banks, okay? At first, if you have not done this work and this is the V2, okay? So again, everything that I go over in my lectures, here's body positions. If you have eight minutes, you can learn the important points of body positionings. You have to know this content, all right? So I'm pausing here because I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. I'm not trying to make you feel like you, you know, you're not able to pass NCLEX. I'm trying to get you to stop where you are and turn to a different direction. Okay. All right. And so here, when we're talking about post-liver biopsy, we know it will always be the right side. So it will be the right shoulder, the right hip, um, the right ankle. Those are going to be the correct answers. Good. Okay. All right. Let's move on to the next thing. Question number four is this. The nurse is developing a plan of care for a non-ambulatory client because of stroke, malnutrition, and osteoporosis. What nursing interventions should be included in the client's plan of care to avoid pressure ulcers, okay? Okay, so which one is gonna be included? Number one, limit the fluid intake to keep the skin clean and dry. Two, during feeding, place the head of the bed elevated and raise the foot of the bed. Three, turn the client every four hours. Four, Keep the client's skin moist. Mm. So what I'm asking you here is, what are we going to do to avoid pressure ulcers? 
Okay, so which, which one makes sense? All right, number one, limit the fluid intake to keep the skin clean and dry. Two, during feeding, place the head of the bed elevated and raise the foot of the bed. Three, turn the client every four hours. Or four, keep this client skin moist. And we have 460 likes. We were trying to get to 500, so I don't know if we're going to make it. We only need 40 more people to like this video. We have 834 watching. So are you going to do it or not? I'm going to stall just for a couple more minutes, okay? But I see a lot of people picking one, two, and three, and four. So the answers are all over the place. So... I'm not going to stall anymore. We only have 460 likes. That's okay. That's okay. All right. We're going to show the correct answer. The correct answer is this, everyone. It is number two. Is number two. What should we do? Well, during feeding, we're going to place the head of the bed, elevate it, and raise the foot of the bed. So elevating the foot of the bed when the client is sitting up or elevating the head of the bed during feedings keeps them from sliding down into the bed. And so sliding off the bed may, okay, may um, result in an injury to the patient. It may result in an injury to the patient. So this one was very, um, this one was very good. A lot of people did pick number um, three. Number three says, turn the client every four hours well, that's just not right, okay? We do want to turn the client, but then we want it to be every two hours if they are lying down. And some people who pick number four says, keep the client's skin moist. Well, that may sound good, but when, it's, when it comes to dermal pressure ulcers, mm -mm. we don't want to keep the skin moist. We want to keep it what? We want to keep it dry. We want to keep it dry. I don't know. Did you guys do the impossible? Are there 500 likes here? Okay. Um, yes. If you have an issue where you are changing, we only need one more like. Somebody do it. Do we have 500? Don't change your answers. Okay. Don't change your answers. Go with your first mind. It is a terrible, nasty habit. It's a terrible, nasty habit. Oh my goodness, guys. You did it. You did it. You got 500 likes. Congratulations. That is amazing teamwork. That is amazing. Give yourselves a round of applause. Okay, you guys did it. I didn't know if it was possible. I've never asked for 500 likes before, but I threw out the challenge and you guys responded. How cool is that? Okay, now I can hit you with this very challenging question that I wrote just for you guys. Here it is. Let me see how you do. Okay. Okay, um, a nurse is caring for a client with a stage three pressure ulcer on the left hip. Which intervention is the highest priority when developing the care for this client? Okay, number one. Okay, we're talking about prioritization here. What's the highest priority? Number one, initiate prophylactic antibiotics to prevent infection. Two, apply a hydrocolloid dressing over the ulcer. Three, elevate the client's hip to reduce pressure on the ulcer. Or four, increase the client's fluid intake. Now, remember, 
with NCLEX, all of the choices can be correct, okay? So a nurse is caring for a client with a stage three pressure ulcer on the left hip. Which intervention is the highest priority when developing care for this client, okay? So which one is the most important? Number one, initiate prophylactic antibiotics to prevent infection. Two, apply a hydrocolloid dressing over the ulcer. Three, elevate the client's left hip to reduce pressure on the ulcer. Or four, increase the client's fluid intake. Ooh, this is so good. This is why I wanted you guys to unlock it. I'm so glad you did because I see the answers and they're all over the place. Okay, so that means we're gonna learn something today. When you are doing prioritization questions, one of the best things that you can remember and know is the cause of something, okay? The correct answer here is, and this is why it always boils down to content. Correct answer here is number three. It's always gonna be number three in this situation because when you are prioritizing care, when you're prioritizing care, the priority has to be to treat the cause. That's always gonna be better than any other supportive care that can happen, okay? So if I am coming in and I have an issue of sepsis, the priority care is gonna be what? It's gonna be antibiotics, okay? going to be antibiotics. Now, there are certain things that you can do that also be great. You can give me fluids. You can make sure that, you know, my my vital signs are stable. That's great. You can give me fluids, make sure my vital signs are stable. Give me Tylenol if I have a fever, but my problem is sepsis and I need antibiotics. Okay? And so here, look at this. This is how you're going to do this, all right? The patient comes in and their problem is what? Their problem is pressure. And so you're going to treat as the priority the issue of the pressure, okay? And so elevating the client's hip is going to treat the cause. Everything else is gonna be supportive, okay? In initiating antibiotics. Well, we don't really give those unless you need to have them. If there's no, this is in real life too, if there's no bacterial infection present, do we just give antibiotics? just to give them? No, normally we're not doing that. Applying a dressing. Applying a dressing is great, but it's not gonna be the priority if the patient still has pressure there. Now you just put a dressing over an area that's still gonna have pressure on it. That's not gonna help. I got a lot of people with this distraction increasing the client's fluid intake. That's such a nice, beautiful thing for nurses to do for patients we should definitely increase their fluid intake. But is that gonna solve the big issue that's happening? Not if you're leaving your patient on their side for five hours, okay? And so we definitely need to make sure that we are understanding what we're being asked, okay? What we're being asked doesn't make sense. This is very important for us to do. So I was happy that we unlocked this bonus question 
because it allowed us to talk about prioritization for NCLEX. And it can be very tricky when the answers are all right. Those answers are all right there, okay? Um, so what I think I'll do is I do think that I will go into the V2 and play a video for some of you um, who don't know what V2 is, how my NCLEX review program works. Um, and I, I got a request to um, play the body positions one. So I'm thinking about doing that. All right. Yes, there's many ways to do, um, there's many ways to do prioritization. And so you definitely need to be flexible in knowing when you are to be using airway breathing circulation, Maslow's, acute versus chronic, right? There's a lot of ways to do prioritization, uh, but it all starts with knowing this content, okay? You cannot prioritize if you don't know what you're talking about. You cannot do it. And so NCLEX for, quick facts for NCLEX is where we got today's subject from. My favorite book, okay? Every nursing student should have this book. Dermal pressure ulcers is in there along with many other, let me show you the table of contents. And this is why this book is so cool because it is a power pack book of all of these topics. All of these topics that you need to memorize are in this little book. So can you do it? Absolutely, you can do it. But you gotta have the book. You got to have the book and you got to have V2. So I'm going to um, take you in there. Let me just let me just give you this one thing. OK, this is the Monday motivation. It's essentially worrying solves nothing. Worrying solves nothing. I asked the question, who among you love to go to beaches? How many people love to go to beaches, love to go swimming? You live near a beach. You grew up with the water. And it's one of your favorite places to go. I, I, I imagine a lot of people. There are not so many people who say, no, I prefer snow over the beach. I mean, some people, but not really. All right. Um, but when you go there, there are two things you can see. When you look upon the water and the waves, you can see the waves in the water as very beautiful and majestic. And you can see them as just a picture of newness and possibilities, right? Some people even love to surf uh, these waves and they love to ride the waves. Or you can look at it and see it as a threat. You can see it as very dangerous and something that you should be afraid of. And so this is the scripture for this week because definitely your perception of the things happening in your life or the things that are going to happen to you have to be done with wisdom. And James 1, 5, and 6 says this, if any, okay, if any of you lacks what wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. I love that scripture because it definitely is establishing what you should be asking God for. You shouldn't be asking God for money, power, fame, fortune. Those things are silly and they don't last. Ask God for wisdom to make great decisions and so that you can truly be a benefit to those around you. Um, that is what I, I will say. That's one of the best things that you can ask God for. Ask him for wisdom this week to operate with a sound mind. No fear, no doubt, no double-mindedness just sure and steady. That's my prayer for this week. That is it for this week. Okay. So what we're about to do now is I'm about to take you inside of the virtual trainer. 
Okay, I'm gonna take you inside of my V2. Why do I call it V2? Because it is specifically for next-gen NCLEX, okay? Version one was great and cool, but we had to upgrade. So we're gonna go inside. I'm going to do body positions. If you don't have your downloadable workbook or your printed workbook, what are you waiting for? I'm about to show you what it's all about, okay? Um, Nurse Amina says, hi, Regina. I am an IEN, graduated 23 years ago. Wow. I passed my NCLEX. I have an international nurse here, you guys. I passed my NCLEX first try with your program, V2 and QuickFax, internationally educated nurse. Content over questions. Your program is the best. Remar all the way. Somebody needed to hear that. That's Monday motivation. Woo. Hi, Regina. I passed my NCLEX on the 7th of February. Thanks to V2. Quick facts, Monday and Wednesday motivation. Thanks to God and thanks to the entire Remar family. May you all be blessed. Somebody that's taking their NCLEX tomorrow or this week, you need to be reading these. This is your, this is the, the this is what you needed to hear today. Hi, Remar. I passed my NCLEX on first attempt at 150 questions. Went all the way. Um, on the 13th of February, I am grateful to God. So am I. Oh, Professor Regina and Mark. May God bless you. Your content was all used. I'm officially a Remar RN. She abbreviated it and said RN, RN, um, International nurses, shout out um, to you. Hi, Nurse Regina. I took my NCLEX PN. Somebody asked if I had a PN program. Let me read this. She says, I passed. I used QuickFax and V2 program for three weeks. That's it. Thank you so much for all you do to help us change our lives. Doesn't take long. Doesn't take long when you're doing it strong. Doesn't take long. All right. And so I'm going to go into position. Oh, Nurse Paulette. Hi, Paulette. Says, thanks, Professor Regina, for your program. I passed my exam at 85 questions. Congratulations. Okay. So listen, I'm going to go into V2 um, so that you guys can see what you're signing up for. Whether you're a registered nurse or a practical nurse, there are so many scammers out there that are trying to sell you guys questions, that are trying to get you to cash app them, WhatsApp them, um, all type of things, and you don't understand what it is you are getting. So what I'm about to do is show you guys the partner to QuickFax. If you have QuickFax, then you definitely need the V2. So we're gonna go into it. Um, and I, I just lost the page. I found the page and then I, I put it down and now I don't, I don't have it anymore, but it's in the V2 workbook. Oh, here we go. It's page 59 and 60. If you have your workbooks, you can fill it out with me. Um, so let's do it. I'm going to I'm going to fill it out here to watch the video, fill it out. That's the process. So let's begin. Let's begin to do it. We're going to go into the. Let me dial it up for you guys. This is the V2. Um, you will do this program when you get V2. Um, like I said, it comes with everything. So it does come with your lectures, your question bank, your file vault. It's all there for you. Um, and then you're going to start it and finish it in the order that is presented. I do have some questions and quizzes in between these videos to just make sure that you are learning what you are supposed to be learning. 
but we're going to just push on ahead to body positions. If you have eight minutes in your entire 24 hours today, you can study this. So this is a program for everybody to do. So let's get into it. Check it out. Body positions. I'm going to press play and let's learn. happy to talk about positions because honestly they're very important and they're one of the first things that registered nurses teach our ancillary staff so positions are really important because they usually help prevent or promote something and positioning is one of the most common procedures that nurses have to do so the various types of positions that i'm going to talk about are usually determined by a client's condition their current illness, or the treatment that they're about to get. So I like to start with our first position, which is going to be Fowler's, Fowler's position. Now, there are actually four types of Fowler's that I want you to know. They are low, semi, standard, and So let's talk about the degrees of elevation associated with each type. So for low Fowler's, it is going to be 15 to 30 degrees. Semi Fowler's is considered 30 to 45 degrees. Standard Fowler's, you may know this, 45 to 60 degrees. And high Fowler's, 60 to 90 degrees. So for semi Fowler's, I'm going to tell you the types of patients that are associated with this position. Low Fowler's is there, you can read it for yourself. So for semi-Fowler's, they are patients with respiratory complications. Those patients who are having trouble breathing, we like to put them in semi-Fowler's because semi-Fowler's will help the lungs to expand. Now, standard Fowler's, we put patients and standard Fowler's to relax the abdominal content, right? So these are patients that have appendicitis. These are patients that are having GI complications. That standard Fowler's will help to relax the abdomen. High Fowler's, oh, you want to know clients with autonomic dysreflexia belong in high Fowler's as an emergency position for this condition. The next position is our lateral position. And lateral means that we have the client's side touching the bed. Now, left lateral means that the left side is touching the bed. Right lateral means that the right side is touching the bed. This position is for maternal fetal distress, clients who are prone to having seizures, and then after a liver biopsy, we want to put our patient on the right side to put pressure on that liver. The lithotomy position, this is where the client is actually, if we look at the picture, the client is flat on the back with the knees flexed. And typically the legs are in stirrups. This is the position for our pelvic examinations as well as childbirth. Now, 
Look at this picture. What is the client at risk for if they're in this position for a long time? What do you think? Don't say bed sores. Don't say bed sores. But what specifically? And look at the knees. What are we worried about if our client is in this position for a long time? Because the knees are flexed, we are worried about blood clot. Yes, deep vein thrombosis. So that is why, remember when we talked about pregnancy, pregnant women are prone to DVTs because they're in this position for quite a while sometimes. Next position coming up is the prone position. Here we have the client is on the stomach, but the head always should be turned to one side for respiratory concerns. Now, prone position, this is your position for spina bifida. Remember, the spinal column is exposed, so we always want those patients on their stomachs. There are certain patients that we do not put in the prone position, and I'm going to tell you who they are. There are three types. Clients with abdominal incisions, clients who have difficulty breathing, or clients who are unconscious. We don't want to put them in the prone position, all right? I am super familiar with the next position. It is supine. The client is flat on the back. This position is used for any spinal cord injuries or even suspected spinal cord injuries. If a client falls down or if they have an accident of any kind, we always protect their spinal cord by putting them in the supine position. When a client is in the supine position for a suspected spinal cord injury, remember we need to log roll the client. So if somebody has to stay in the supine position and we have to move them, the technique for that is called log rolling the client. Now, when we look at this picture, what is this client most at risk for? You can say it here. They're most at risk for bed sores or dermal pressure ulcers, dermal pressure ulcers, as they are lying in the bed and all, all of those bony prominences that you can identify, they're touching a surface. So they're touching the bed. So you have the back of the head, the elbows, the buttocks, the heels, they are all pressed up against the surface. So it doesn't take long for the skin in that area to become compromised. These patients are at a great risk for dermal pressure ulcers. I like the next position, the Trendelenburg position. It's a long name, but essentially this position has the client in a supine situation, but the head is actually lower than the feet. So you have the feet elevated here. Now, this is your position for hypotensive shock mm -hmm, and a prolapsed cord during pregnancy. All right. Now, don't confuse it with our next position, which is actually called reverse Trendelenburg. So it is the opposite of Trendelenburg. Maybe it should have been called opposite Trendelenburg, but it's reverse where you have the head is up and the feet are down. Now, why would we want to put a client in this position? 
Very commonly, reverse Trendelenburg is used for increased intracranial pressure, and this will help decrease the blood supply that is going to that area. So it is associated with increased intracranial pressure. Well, guys, that is our quick review of positions. I really like to go back to the fundamentals. I don't want to leave anything out that you may be asked to identify your competency in. So I'll see you at the next subject. Okay, everyone. So if you were following along, let me pause this video. If you were following along with me, um, then that is essentially how V2 works. You are watching the videos and you are filling out your workbook. This is the system that the Remar nurses, when they come on and they say they pass NCLEX, this is how they're doing. So it is much different, as you can see from my YouTube videos. This was on page 59 and 60 of the V2 workbook, okay? This is the complement. This is the other half of quick facts, okay? So upgrade yourself. Upgrade yourself with this, um, with this content. It's developed specifically for NextGen NCLEX. And the question bank and everything is all there. I don't mind questions. I think they're very important, but the prime, the primary, okay, the primary has to be the content, okay? The primary has to be the content. And I'm the same way. Every time I do a video from the V2, I learn something. I hear something, all right? And so, of course, hearing and seeing and writing things down, this is the way you're able to master a subject like learning, like nursing. All right. So again, the videos are not long. If you're somebody that you know you have a short attention span, you don't want to spend a long time reviewing content. You don't want to spend hours doing that. The V2 is the solution for that. Right. It's for audiovisual learners, people that are kinetic learners, and those people that may have a little bit of a short attention span and you just want to get the information. So get into it. You can go to remarnurse.com and start your free trial of it. Well, today we talked about dermal pressure ulcers. So your Monday class for this week has been reviewed. Give me 100%, put 100% up if you stay to the entire class today. I wanna see who's staying for class. 100% if you've watched this entire class and don't forget every Monday we make part of our journey to passing NCLEX a little bit easier by coming together, sharing our knowledge, but most importantly, encouraging, encouraging each other to take the next step, whatever it is. So many people, so many people are able to put that hundred, you came to class, you showed up, you, you didn't skip class or dip out early, you attended the entire class. So that's really cool. And you know that you guys are down for Team Remar. That's it, Remar Nurses. Joyce says, I took my PN test 217, 24. And I would like to say thank you for Remar. I applied V2. I love that. I love that, that verb. I applied V2. That's right. That's what you do to it. I applied V2. Study guide never left my side. I just want to say thank you. 
Thank you for coming on here, Joyce. She says, I did pass with 101 questions. Hmm, not too bad. And the whole time I heard your voice in my head, in my head. Very cool. All right, everyone. Monday motivation has been served. Okay, then Ann says, I attended 100% of this class and I'm at work too. I'm multitasking. I'm keeping my eye on the next thing. That's right, 100%, 100%. Um, I will be back on Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern time. Hey, if you guys are coming to my class in the Philippines, um, I am so excited to be in Manila. I will be I will be traveling. And if you guys have never been to the Philippines, all you guys are coming with me there. We have we're going to meet. Let me tell you, I just can't even tell you my schedule, but I am vlogging the entire time because we're going to we're going to go to the Philippines together. Some people may be like me. I never thought I would be going to Asia ever in my life, but God is so good. He just opened up this entire door for for Remar, Remar to the world. And so I'd be going to the Philippines. I'm going to go there. I'm going to meet the nurses. I have so many incredible people that they're just going to receive my family. And I'm just, I'm, I'm humbled. So I'm taking you guys with me to the Philippines. We are going to be there. We're going to meet the nurses. We're going to eat the food. We're going to see the sites. I'm going to learn about the city, all these things. Uh, so Philippines, Remar is coming. I want to see how you guys hold me down over in Asia because I'm going to be like meeting you big time there. All right. So um, that's it. All right. Uh, I'll see you guys on Wednesday, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Listen, I am moving about the globe. OK, so I am challenging Remar nurses in the Philippines to show us how you welcome show us how you show us how your country does it show me how you welcome a visitor to the philippines i'm supposed to be i'm supposed to be taking these tours i'm supposed to be seeing the city and so team remar will be coming with me and we're going to we're going to love the philippines so i'll be there next week you guys are going to fly with me 16 hours 18 it's like i don't even know 24 hours i'll be flying we're going to do it together though so i'll see you guys on wednesday night have a great study session bye bye Mm-hmm. <laughs>